Well, hello, and I want to welcome you to the Victory Church Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Horton. I'm here to bring you a short message that's designed to help you become all that God created you to be and to live your life to the fullest. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get into today's message. It is an exciting day to be alive. I'm so glad to be with you again today in our Victory Weekly Podcasts, and I hope you're getting something out of the podcast. You know, I was just thinking uh, just before I, uh, I began the podcast here about uh, Charles Dickens' book, A T- Tale of Two Cities, and it begins, I mean, just the first chapter, it was the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, that's where we are today in the world, and uh, he was prophetic, maybe didn't know it when he began to write his book, A Tale of Two Cities, but we are experiencing, you know, the, the deep deepening depravity of the flesh and demonic intrusions into life. At the same time, we're on the edge of, of the glory of God manifesting and God using the church to pull people out of the cultural morass that we find ourselves in in America and around the world. Um, we, are, we are looking towards uh, the Antichrist coming on the scene with his regime of lawlessness and control, and uh, the Lord really wants to use us in the body of Christ in a tremendous way. So I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, His work in our life. God wants us to stir ourselves up as believers and become sensitive to the Holy Spirit and and what He's doing in us so He can work through us. And I would just want to start, I've been talking about 10 ways the uh, Holy Spirit works in us the last few podcasts. I want to continue that vein because I'm not yet through. Uh, John 16, Jesus said this, verse 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he will take what is mine, and declare it to you. So again, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come, really take his place and guide us and lead us and help us and 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 uh, and help us to be what God has called us to be and move us through some really challenging times. I'm talking about 10 ways the Holy Spirit works in us. I've mentioned the first four ways, which number one, I've mentioned that the Holy Spirit creates in uh, in us a sense of unity in the body of Christ. Second thing the Holy Spirit does is He gives us a desire to be like Jesus. The third thing He does, the Holy Spirit produces in us a sense of righteousness or right standing with God. Number four, and I talked about this last time, the Holy Spirit seeks to keep us pure. Today, and I talked about all that in detail, today we're going to jump right into the fifth thing the Holy Spirit does in us. Number five, The Holy Spirit will lead us away from the harmful effects of our culture. You know, again, as as a culture moves away from God, you know, if you move away from God, the flesh is going to fill in the blanks and the flesh is going to fill the cracks. You move away from the Lord. All things negative, all things demonic, they begin to make a slow intrusion. That's why we're encouraged by uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, not not to hang too tightly with people that don't know the Lord because we don't want to absorb their ways. Listen again, listen again to a New Living Translation of 2 Corinthians 6. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light 
live in darkness. So he's contrasting the believer with the unbeliever. So uh, the believer's righteousness, the unbeliever's wickedness. I mentioned this a few podcasts ago. Uh, the believer is light. The unbeliever is darkness. Uh, the believer is Christ. How can What harmony can there be with Christ, the believer, and the devil, the unbeliever? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple, which is the believer, and idols, which is an unbeliever. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in them, walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father. You'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So again, in all we do, we're to bring attention to Jesus. So I have to ask myself, does, does how I dress, does what I do, does how I speak, um, and how I spend my time, does it bring glory to Jesus? If it doesn't, then I don't need to be doing it. The Holy Spirit, again, wants to lead us away from the harmful effects of our culture. First Peter chapter 4 uh, listen to New Living Translation, the first five verses again of 1 Peter chapter 4. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. And verse 4, he says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. So again, this is an appeal to come away from the flesh, come away from the habits of the culture around us. Don't get, don't get involved in their wild partying and the terrible things they do when they're off by themselves. And we're supposed to be a separated people. In fact, listen to what John says in 1 John 2. This is again, New Living Translation. Do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do, not, uh, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but, they, but are from this world. And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So King James Version, it mentions here in 1 John 2.15, the three enemies of the life of a believer, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, or the greedy longings of the mind, one translation says, um, and the pride of life. They're not from the Father, they're from the world. So God, how many know God's called us to be a separated people? In fact, we're to shine. Jesus said shine as lights in the darkness around us. Jesus said that we have the influence of salt in a bland, sin-filled world. So Kenneth Wiest, a Bible expositor, uh, defines the world as, listen to this, all the ma floating mass of thoughts, of opinions, of maxims, of speculations, of hopes, 
of impulses, of aims and aspirations that are anytime current in the world. Or it's the, it's the way the world thinks about life as a whole and in general. It's the ideology of the age. Again, that's Kenneth Wee Smith Wigglesworth, which is very, very practical. Well, you wouldn't call him a theologian at all. But, you know, he had a real practical, close walk with the Lord. Smith and Wigglesworth, an English evangelist who died in the late 1940s, he said this, he defined the world as that which cools my affection toward God. Now that is really good. So anything that, that pulls me away from the Lord, anything that dampens my, my heart and desire towards God, he defined that as the world, that which cools my affection towards God. So, you know, when I, when I read that, when I hear it, I think, now what in my life comes my way to try to dampen my relationship with the Lord? God wants me to move away from those things. Here in 1 John that we just read here in 1 John 2, 15, 16, 17, again, the sinful longings of the flesh and eyes and the pride of life, that's called the world. So again, what the Bible calls the world is the mindset and behavior of the society around us. And this mindset has a tendency to pull us away from our Heavenly Father. So, uh, you know, uh, the world does loom large as an enticing danger for all of us. And we have to be, we have to guard ourselves, don't we? So again, if we love the world, we could become friends with the world, which is actually classed as being an enemy of God. You ever thought about that? Listen to, listen to James chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Amplified New Testament. You are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs. He's talking to believers now. Listen, he's talking to believers, not unbelievers, talking to Christians. You are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vow to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy. Now, that's some strong language, isn't it? So whoever, watch, whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes a stand as an enemy of God. That's a strong word. So if I snuggle up to that which God says, don't be like or don't do, I'm moving away from him, and I'm beginning to become an enemy of what God likes. That's a challenge. And then verse 5 of James 4, and again, this is Amplified New Testament, or do you suppose the scriptures speak to no purpose that says the spirit whom he calls to dwell in us yearns over us and he yearns for the spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love? In fact, I think it's the Berkeley translation that says, do you, uh, do you think the scripture speaks to no, uh, to no purpose when it says the spirit who took up his abode in us? yearns jealously over us. Did you know there's a jealous lover inside of me and inside of you as believers? He's jealous over your time. He's jealous over what we think about. He's jealous over what we give our emotions to. He's jealous over what kind of relationship we allow ourselves to have with people. He's jealous over us because he wants to have our heart affection. You know, Susan and I have been married for this year, believe it or not, 43 and a half years. This year will be 44 years. And, you know, I have to tell you, being married to somebody that long, my wife has my heart. And I would not even consider wanting to be with anyone else but her because she has my heart. She knows me. I know her. She loves me. I love her. I know her likes. I know her dislikes. 
I know what she's in. I know what she enjoys doing. I know how she responds to things. And the same way with with me, she understands me. She knows how I am. She understands my ways. She understands what I value. And you know, when you have that kind of relationship with someone, it's really amazing how the Lord, you know, how the Lord knits your heart together. And that's the way the that's the kind of relationship that the Lord has towards us. He loves us. He cares about us so, so deeply. He doesn't want us to give our heart affection to anything that would harm us or harm our fellowship and close relationship with Him. The Scripture speaks about the fact that we should should remain, we should not become spotted or tainted by the world. Just listen to James 1.27. The Passion Translation says this, true spirituality that is pure in the eyes of our Father God, is to make a difference in the lives of the orphans, widows in their troubles, and watch and refuse to be corrupted by the world's values. See, see, the Holy Spirit, He wants us to move away from anything that would distract us from the eternal purpose of our lives. Don't forget again, all we do in this life is preparation for the next life. And I don't want to be involved in things now that would hinder my life then in eternity. We just have a few years now to spend in this stuff, but we've got eternity to be with the Lord. And what we do now and the obedience that we give and offer Him now has a lot to do with what happens in our eternity and our placement in eternity. It's not my subject, but boy, that's a lot to think about, isn't it? And again, the Bible speaks about the fact, in fact, the Apostle Paul mentioned that, uh, that we're not to be conformed to this world. I like J.B. Phillips' translation of Romans 12, 2. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove and practice uh, that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true Maturity. So I like J.B. Phillips' translation of don't be conformed to this world. He says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You know how you can take some, perhaps some modeling clay. Oh, when I was a little boy, I had some silly putty, you know, and you put it into your hand or, or actually Play-Doh. You put it in your hand and squeeze it. And if you squeeze it hard enough, it becomes like the configuration of the interior of your hands. That's what the world's seeking to do to, do to us. That is, it wants to mold our character to be like it. And God has called us to be different than the culture around us. If my life is not, uh, is not different than the culture around me, I need to ask why. Have I conformed myself to the, to the cultural trends that are current right now? Or am I conforming myself to what Jesus wants me to be? Again, if we're not careful, if we seek to conform ourselves to, to the ideology of the age around us or what the Bible calls the world, you know, we could be condemned with the world. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 30 through 32, the Apostle Paul. Here he's talking about the communion table and how it's really a time to reconsecrate rededicate yourself to the Lord. And he said, you got to be really careful when you do, when you receive communion, that you reassess your life, judge yourself. And here's how he says it. He says, the people that don't do that and don't judge themselves and they, and they receive communion and don't really take it face value, their clear relationship with the Lord. He says, this is why many of you, verse 30, 
1 Corinthians 11, many of you were weak and sick and some have even died. Some people, they begin to have physical problems and some people even, even died because they weren't willing to judge the areas of life that allowed the enemy to sneak in and, and weaken them even physically. Then he says, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 11, but if we would examine ourselves we would not be judged by God in this way. See, there's a, there's a call in the word for self-examination. Again, uh, the, even the Greek philosophers back 2,500 years ago, they said this self-examined life is not, the, the unexamined life is not worth living. So we should, we should examine or take a self-examination. Again, the Apostle Paul here said if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Verse 32, but yet when we are judged, we're being disciplined, so we'll not be condemned along with the world. So again, how do I judge myself when I recognize a thought, a behavior, a conversation, a motive, something that I've been involved in, and it's, I know that it's wrong, and I know that it's sin. I take that before God and say, God, I did that. I thought that, I said that, etc., and say, God, you said that was wrong. And see, 1 John 1, 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse 9 of 1 John 1 says, if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, God wants us to, that word confess means to say the same thing as. It's, the Greek word is homo legeo. It means this, to say or speak the same thing that God says about what we're doing. So how do I judge my sin? I say what God says about it. If he says it's wrong to, 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 judge, to speak the way I spoke, then I ask him to forgive me. I say, I did that. It's wrong. You said it's wrong. I ask forgiveness and help me to put it away. And whatever it is, you do it that way. That is called self-judgment. If we would examine, or King James Bible says, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But then, of course, it says when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. God doesn't want us to lose our spiritual life to the influence of the world. So see, he gives us an opportunity to repent. And if we choose not to judge ourselves uh, from behaviors that are causing us to become like the world, then he has no recourse but to chasten us. See, God draws us over and over again through his love, by his word, by the impress of the Holy Spirit. And again and again and again, he calls and pleads with us, stop that behavior, stop doing that. You know, stop holding unforgiveness. Stop, stop that particular action. Stop those kinds of words. Stop those kinds of motives. But you know, if over a period of time we just become become hardened to His voice and we don't listen, you know, uh, when we don't listen to His drawing love, but we allow the outward things, the world, to dictate how we live, then you know, God has no choice but to put an obstacle in our way to get our attention. And so that's called the chastening. Of the Lord again, He does that because He loves us. Listen to Hebrews twelve, uh, verse six through 11, verses six through eleven, New Living Translation. Listen, here it is: For the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes each one He accepts as His child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you. 
as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God discipline, God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline. Paul continued, uh, the writer of Hebrews, I believe, could be Paul. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living by those who are trained in this way. So again, God chastens us first of all through his word and by the jealous conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when we choose close, but when we choose close fellowship with the world over closeness with him, and when we refuse his tender love and his tender dealings, and we stubbornly go our own way, turning a deaf ear to his word and to the voice of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of conscience, see, then God has to go to a deeper level to get our attention. And if we're his children, he will chasten us. And so he will allow the circumstances of life to move in unless we, we, unless we repent and draw ourselves back to him. This level, this level of chastening that I'm talking about here, uh, God's hand of protection is removed, and the enemy is allowed to move in where he, the, he then can steal, kill, and destroy again. Out of God's love for us, he allows this type of chastening so we can be freed from what would possibly destroy our spiritual life with him. And that's the reason the apostle Paul said, when we are judged, that is when God has to come and chasten us, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. There's an example of this as I conclude today. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a young man in the church in Corinth that decided that he had freedom in Christ to have an immoral relationship with his stepmother. That's a terrible thing. I mean, Paul said, not even your culture around here does this, and, and you're allowing this in the church? And notice what the Apostle Paul said about this young man who was having an immoral relationship with, of all people, his stepmother. Notice what he said. I can hardly believe, Paul said, the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. This is 1 Corinthians 5, something that even pagans don't do. I'm told there's a man in your church that is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And um, you should remove this man from your fellowship. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And though I'm, I was, as though I were there, I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed. Turn him over to Satan, King James Bible says, for the destruction of the flesh, uh, that, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. All that is 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, New Living. This young man stubbornly refused God's loving word, and, and, and Paul urges him by the Holy Spirit to cease from his sin. Uh, after Paul released this man uh, to be chastened by the enemy, see, this man, we learn from 2 Corinthians that he repented of his sinful activity. The church basically said, I'm not taking you to lunch today. I'm not going to have dinner with you until you make a choice that you're going to step away from the sin you're involved in. We won't, don't want that sin in our church. And sin is like leaven. It's like yeast in dough. And he said, uh, 
He said, they, and they were just basically saying, by not having fellowship with him, we're going to steer clear of you until you repent of your sin. And once this man repented of his sinful activity, he was welcomed back into fellowship with, uh, with the church family because he had repented before God. So again, you know, if you have allowed, this is, a, this is a challenge. If we have allowed the world and its ways to snare us in some area of life, I want to encourage you and me to yield to God's loving word and the Holy Spirit's deep conviction. See, self-judgment is always the best route to take. Again, in the words of Paul, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Let's keep ourselves, what do you say today, so that the enemy has no inroads into our life through the world. Let's judge ourselves by confessing our sins and failures to the Lord, and let's yield to the love that God has for us as he gently draws us away from the influences of the world that Satan wants to use to ruin and mar our spiritual life. You know, Jesus has prayed that we would be kept from the world in John 17. So let's refuse to compromise. Let's be that, that salty light that Jesus has called us to be. Again, the Holy Spirit will lead us away from the harmful effects of our culture. Let him work in you today. Let him challenge you. And let him, by the Holy Spirit, transform you. Lord, I pray for me and all of us. We're all touched by the culture around us. We're influenced by various things. And there's some things that, ye, that, that appeal to the weaknesses in our own person. Father, in Jesus' name, draw us away from those things. And Lord, give us a tender, sensitive heart towards you. That when we think on something or our emotions are inflamed with something or we're, we're involved in conversations and speech that are ungodly and unprofitable or, Lord, we're involved in some flesh activity, some, some thing with our physical body, Lord God, or some relationship that is less than it should be, Lord, give us a heart to judge ourselves. Give us a heart to repent. Draw us away from the, uh, from the, from the things that would distract us from the culture around us. And Lord, lead us into a deeper fellowship with you, I pray in Jesus' name. When we come back next time, we'll, we'll talk about uh, number six, and we will we will, uh, we'll take that. The Holy Spirit wants to give us, this is the next time, a sense of belonging with the Father. We'll talk about that next time. God bless you. Well, thanks for listening to the Victory Church Weekly Podcast. I hope you're able to get something out of the message today. Before you leave, please make sure uh, that you subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform that you're listening from. Doing this goes a long way in helping us reach a wider audience. Lastly, if you want to reach out with questions, concerns, prayer requests, or comments about today's content, you can email me at pastor at victorychurchraleigh.com. I would love to hear from you. Now go out there and be all that God created you to be today. God bless you.